0: Merryground Storytelling presents Test Valley Tales with Amanda Kane Smith. Hello. I'm Amanda. Welcome to the Test Valley Tales podcast. This podcast features the stories from my illustrated book called Test Valley Tales. Each week, I'll be telling a traditional story based in a real location in the beautiful borough of Test Valley, which, if you're not from round here, is in Hampshire, in England, in the UK. All the stories are different, but they are all magical in one way or another. So, whether you're curious about strange-looking dragons or magical wish-giving fish, enchanted trees or even spooky ghost legends, I'm sure there'll be a tale here for everyone. And if you're listening locally, I hope you may want to go out and explore the place the story is set and maybe see if you can find some of the things I refer to there. I can't promise you'll meet any of the magical creatures, but... If you do come across any, please say hello from me. Well, I think it's time to get on with this week's tale. So, make yourselves comfortable and I will set the scene. This episode's Test Valley tale is based on a local ghost legend and it's called The Wild Horses of Wellow. (laughs) of test valley there is a slither of the new forest which sneaks across the boundary bordering the common land of canada common west Wellow and plateford the landscape feels different here gone are the hills and streams there is wetland and heathland and a forest which brings with it new kinds of adventures to discover It's great to explore the wide open space of the common and to get close to the horses and ponies who come out of the forest to enjoy the sweet tasting grass on the heathland. And if you're lucky, you may even see a red deer at dusk or dawn, venturing out when all is quiet. As long as I can remember, there have always been horses and deer in the new forest, sharing the place happily. But that was not always the case. In fact, there was a time when two horses threatened to disturb the peace of the common for ever, and their names were Sundew and Bracken. <laughs> bracken were stubborn and headstrong, each a warm chestnut colour, with manes and tails as black as peat. They both liked to eat the grass and nibble at the yellow gorse flowers on the heathland that lay on the edge of the forest. They were proud to be wild horses and were not afraid of the hunters that lived thereabouts. They knew no humans could catch them. They shared their forest with many creatures, including the red deer. The deer were afraid of the humans because they would hunt them with bows and arrows for their meat and fur, and so they knew to stay hidden in the trees. One cold winter, however, the grass was so sparse in the forest that the deer were forced to venture further and further onto the heathland at dusk to eat the long grasses and shrubs. "'Sundu and Bracken resented how much grass the deer were eating. "'Spring was still a long way away, "'and with the rain turning so much of the heathland into bog, "'they feared they would run out of food. "'One day they galloped up to the mighty red stag. "'Stay away from our heathland,' Sunjoo commanded, "'or we will tell the hunters where to find you in the forest.' The red stag looked at the horses. He knew the deer would need to share the heathland if they were all to survive the winter. He also knew that Sundew and Bracken could be impulsive and wondered on what authority they were speaking to him. Choosing to say nothing, he lowered his head and began to eat the grass, his huge antlers creating a barrier like a twisted thorn bush between himself and the horses. Sundew and Bracken's ears lay flat in anger, and their nostrils flared, and with a swish of their tails they turned and galloped off into the forest. Days went by, and the two horses could be heard whinnying and whickering about the deer in the forest. Leave them be, the other horses said, unimpressed. There is enough food for all if we learn to share. But Sundew and Bracken would not be told. They had made up their minds and were not going to back down. Then one evening, as they watched the deer silently making their way out of the forest, expertly treading around the bogs and mires to find the best places to graze. Bracken decided enough was enough. He squealed loudly, showing his fury, then announced to Sunju, We need to get the hunter to kill the stag. That will stop the deer from coming out. Sunju stamped his front hoof and snorted in an agreement. Kill the stag, he thought. That is the only way. And he was about to say this when a man, wearing a brown leather tunic and hunter's hat, appeared out of nowhere. Both horses were startled. Their hooves danced restlessly on the spot. The man bowed to show he did not mean any harm. Then he said, I couldn't help overhearing your dilemma. I would like to help if you would allow me to. Sundew and Bracken were intrigued by the man's offer, so they slowly and steadily walked towards him. Everything about him was long and thin, apart from his wide shoulders which were hunched over like they'd been bent by the wind. His face was all gnarled, and he had a long pointy nose that hung down the middle like an old dry root. He held his hands behind his back and his knees were bent. But even though his appearance was strange, the horses thought little of that. All men looked strange to them, walking around as they did on two legs. You see, I hope you may be able to help me in return, he continued. Un- Fortunately, both my horses have gone lame, so I've had to let them go, and now my carriage is stuck here in the forest. If you agree to be harnessed to my carriage and take me home, I can fetch my bow and arrow. But we are wild horses, said Bracken. We do not wear the bridles and harnesses of men and never will. I." only ask that you take me home the carriage is too heavy for me help me out and i will help you in return when the other horses heard the man's request they all cried don't do it we are wild horses we do not wear the iron bit between our teeth but headstrong as they were sundew and bracken didn't listen They thought they knew best, and they needed the man to fetch his bow and arrow so the stag could be killed, and soon their anger outweighed their pride. "'We agree to wear the bit. The stag must die,' they declared, and let the man lead them to his carriage to be harnessed. It was strange to see the carriage in the forest. They hadn't noticed it before— All the horses that the man said had gone lame. But Sundew and Bracken were so intent on their argument with the deer they gave it no thought at all. First the man put the collar over their heads. The weight of the leather sat uncomfortably on their necks, making them throw their heads in the air. The harness came next. Its straps stretched over their bodies, buckled around their bellies and fixed under their tails. It was unpleasant and felt restrictive, but that was nothing compared to the metal bit that was being lowered towards their mouths. This would be used to control them. As the man put the bridle over their heads, the metal bit slipped between their teeth. It was cold like the ice in the puddles they drank from in the winter, and it tasted metallic, like blood. Then the man pulled the carriage forward and attached it to them with buckles and chains. Sundu and Bracken stared straight ahead, desperate for the others not to see their fear. Then with nostrils flaring, they pointed their heads downwards and arched their necks. They were no longer in control and they were afraid. The man climbed up into the carriage and took hold of the reins. He picked up his whip, he swung his arm backwards, he threw his arm forwards and as he did, the whip went crack. Suddenly, the air filled with a white light that was so bright, Sunjoo and Bracken and all the other horses closed their eyes and when they opened them again, there was a white glow around the carriage and the tall man with the hunched shoulders had disappeared. In his place, there sat a tiny figure, who was so small he could only just see over the metal bar at the front of the carriage. Sunju and Bracken could turn their necks enough to see that he was wearing the same brown leather tunic and hunter's hat. It is the same man, they thought, although every part of him had shrunk, every part other than his nose, which was now hanging down below his chin like a knobbly old parsnip. I am folk of the marsh and the forest and the world that lies beneath, announced the strange man, and I am here to punish you for your behaviour. Animals should never hunt each other unless it is for food. You have threatened to break the natural order of things. Sundue and Bracken reared up in fright, their legs boxing at the air, trying to escape, but they could not. They kicked their back legs and pulled, but the harness was too strong. They wanted to bolt, but the carriage would not move. Unharness us at once! they demanded. "'Ah, well, that won't be possible, I'm afraid,' the strange man taunted as he jumped down from the carriage and moved in front of them. "'We have a contract, and you agreed to pull my carriage so I could fetch my bow and arrow.' Then, looking up with his narrow, beady eyes, he said, "'But I will not kill the stag.' Sundew and Bracken's hearts began to beat faster as they understood what was happening to them. But you have promised, they stammered. We have a contract. Yes, 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 we do, the small man said with a flourish. But I only agreed to fetch my bow and arrow. I never promised to kill the stag. Those were your words, not mine. There was silence as Sundew and Bracken suddenly understood their folly. It was true. He had never actually agreed to their wicked demands. Falk turned to the other horses. Take warning from this, horses of the forest, he bellowed, pacing before them. Live in peace with the deer and the other creatures who roam here and keep each other safe. Let it be known that these two reckless horses, Sun, Jew and Bracken, shall remain enslaved to me as a caution to you all for ever. Sun, Jew and Bracken were furious. How could they have been tricked so easily? They reared again, but it was no good. The carriage wouldn't move, no matter how hard they pulled, and so, defeated, they dropped their heads forward, realising how foolish they had been, and accepted their fate. Then Falk climbed back into the carriage, and leaping on the metal bar at the front, he began to sing and dance. Folk is my name, and when I crack the reins, we will drive through the lanes again and again. (laughs) Then he jumped back into his seat, picked up his whip, and with one more crack, they were off. As Sunjew and Bracken felt the whip on their backs, they raced forwards and galloped across Canada Common, pulling the carriage towards the lanes of Wellow. Their hooves could be heard thundering on the ground and when they reached the edge of the village, the night swallowed them up and they disappeared into the darkness. And legend says that once a year on New Year's Eve, a carriage can still be seen galloping around the lanes of Wellow, surrounded by a white light. It appears at the corner of Ridgeley Lane, then makes its way back to the common as a warning to the ponies who live there today. So, if you are ever out in Wellow late on New Year's Eve, listen carefully for the sounds of hooves and wheels on the road. If you catch sight of the carriage, you will see the two horses with nostrils flared like dragons as their breath comes out and turns into a mist. And seated in the carriage, if you look very closely, is a tiny man with a parsnip nose and a bow and arrow strung across his back. A man of the marsh and the forest and the world that lies beneath. (laughs) enjoyed that story. It's actually a bit of a mash-up of a local ghost story and the Aesop's fable, The Horse, Hunter and Stag. You see, the village of Wellow sits on the edge of the New Forest and I thought, as the ghost story was about a phantom coach and horses, it would be fun to connect it with the New Forest ponies in some way and create an origin story for the ghostly tale. The ghost story takes place around the lanes of Wellow on New Year's Eve and it's more of a sighting than a story, really. Reports tell of a ghostly carriage shining with an eerie white light. There's even a plaque on a small stone seat where a bridge called the Sounding Arch used to be. The plaque says this. This stone seat once formed a part of the Sounding Arch The bridge was frequently used by Florence Nightingale as it connected two parts of the Embley estate where she lived. It was built on this site in 1818 and was demolished in 1966. Legend has it that a phantom coach and horses could be seen crossing the bridge on New Year's Eve. You can find the seat and this plaque on Rydown Lane near the junction of Gardner's Lane in Wellow. I've also linked the two horses to the location by naming them after two plants which are found on Canada Common, which is the piece of land that joins Wellow to the New Forest and where you can often see New Forest ponies grazing. Both plants have some great folklore I'd like to share with you. So let's start with sundew. Well I thought this would be a great name for one of the horses, as while its name sounds sweet, it is actually deadly and carnivorous. But don't worry, the plant is tiny and it only eats insects, so you will be safe if you come across one. Sundew plants have hair-like tendrils tipped with sticky dew. This dew attracts insects which are stuck and, well, eventually wrapped up inside its leaves and digested. Yuck. This dew was once used as an anti-aging potion because of its ability to remain moist even in the hottest sun. And another piece of folklore which I I kind of think is funny is that the sundew plant was also used as a love charm and that was because of its power to lure and attract insects. I don't know what to say about that. (laughs) Well, as for bracken... Um, Well, this is the name of the fern you will see all over the common. It also has some great folklore surrounding it. And my favourite is that if you were to hold its spores, which are tiny brown seed-like things, on the 23rd of June, which is St John's Eve, you would become invisible. But I don't recommend trying this because bracken spores are actually very dangerous and can make you really, really ill. That's probably the real reason people would disappear when they did that. Now, just like most people, I love New Forest ponies. In fact, I love all types of horses and ponies. And so I was really excited when I met Claire Young and her two beautiful horses, Bree and Tallulah, who are adorable and much better behaved than Sundew and Bracken. I love horses, and so I'm very excited to be here today with Claire Young and her two beautiful horses, Tallulah and Brie. And um, well, I don't know whether you can hear this, but um, that's Tallulah having a, a good old munch on some hay. And go away.
1: Jesus,
0: Well, Tallulah, I think I'm going to leave you to your hay and um i'm just going to go over here and have uh, a little chat with with claire so claire hello hello thank you for meeting me today <laughs> thank
2: you for asking me too it's so exciting <laughs> well claire
0: um well apart from having horses you also study Animal behaviour and yes. um, particularly to do with horses. Yes. And I, well, I know you've been reading the stories as well, so um, I just thought, well, you'd be a perfect person to interview mm-hmm. and see if you can tell us a little bit more about animal behaviour and a little bit more, more about horses and, mm-hmm. well, just general kind of horsey yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so now, well, when I researched for the stories, um, for this story particularly, I um, I did look quite heavily. Oh, hello! I did look quite heavily into um, animal behaviour. I wanted to make it quite real. But um, as somebody who has a little bit more knowledge about that than me, I'm just wondering, did I pull it off?
2: Was it? <gasps> it? Yes, you did. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. The descriptions in the Wild Horses of Hello Tallulah, the Wild Horses of Willow, um, descriptions of horse behaviour are really, really accurate. So. The, the pinning of the ears and the swishing of the tail from bracken and sundew. Hello, oh Tallulah's, Tallulah's come, come to have Hello, a Tallulah. a bit of a of investigate she's got it we're in my her notes. field shelter yeah thinking Hello. what are you doing here so if
0: I can describe Tallulah um, she well
2: she's is it skewbald when they're brown she and white she is yes she's a skewbald oh, d- oh she's... T- <laughs> <laughs> So, one of Tallulah's, um, Tallulah's very, um, she's quite an outgoing little pony, aren't you? But she is also, um, you do get easily frustrated, don't you? Yes. And one of her, um, talking about animal behaviour, one of her sort of go-to frustration behaviours is that she will paw at the ground. And she's probably thinking... You're here in my field shelter.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. So I know that often humans will give me scratches mm-hmm. and attention, I like some scratches. and I quite like scratches.
0: Oh, hang on, Tallulah, don't, don't tread on my phone. <laughs> hang on, I'm just picking my bag up off the
2: floor. Oh, I
0: think we're about to get trodden <laughs> yes. on. Um,
2: and <laughs> And uh, Tallulah and Brie are quite. Um. I try. Where, I try, wherever possible, to um, manage them um, in a way that mimics. Um, an environment that feral horses would be in, such as the new forest ponies. So um, they aren't stabled. Um, uh, we do have emergency stabling if, for any reason, they were um, unwell or, or injured and they needed um, to be restricted in terms of their movement. Um, but they live out at pasture 24 um, 7 and they've got free run of the place, um, hence the fact that we're sitting in their field shelter <laughs> but they are able to come and go as they please
0: yes and um, the, the lights kind of blocked out now by Tallulah's tummy yes which is lovely yes. and round I'm just yes. stroking her yes and lovely pat on her tummy um, there d-
2: her tummy is very round um, breeze is also very round um, they are um, it's it's a tricky time of year for them they are um, here together um, with me um, on a on a Diet program. <laughs> um, we've got help of a really um, lovely uh, local um, vet who's also a nutritionist—not um, quite a nutritionist. So we are on a bit of a diet.
0: <laughs> well, actually, that theme comes up in the story, doesn't it? it? Does. Because the the problem all starts where they're, well their food, isn't it? The the deer come along. It's winter time. There isn't much food. So is that something which happens in the real world um, where animals can become quite protective yes. about their
2: yes yes, um, very much so so um uh, behaviors um that are that have a um, Aggressive element to them um, that we would see um, in animals um, that are motivated by um, a lack of uh, key resources, such as food. Um, we would call those behaviours resource guarding behaviours. So, um, what we would sort, of, what we're sort of seeing in in the story um, is these. Um, uh, Aggressive type resource guarding behaviours between, um, in this case, two of the horses, um, and then um, the stag and the deer. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not a New Forest expert, and I'm not an expert on deer, but both uh, animals are herd animals. Um, and their diets do cross over in the sense that deer will graze grasses in the same way horses will okay. um, but um, deer are more likely to spend more time browsing um, in the woodlands as well um, but in the in the story um, the deer are starting to um, need to come and gra- uh, graze some of the grasses because they're running out of food in the forest so that is A time where we may well then see groups of feral horses such as the new forest ponies and then groups of wild animals such as the deer need to be in closer proximity to each other than they may be most comfortable with in order to access Um, Food, which is obviously one of the top priorities in terms of survival. Um, We need to have enough food, we need to have somewhere to rest, um, and we need to be able to procreate. That's what evolution is driving us to do. So um, wild animals, if they are going to have any aggressive encounter with one another in order to compete for something, it comes with a risk, the risk being physical injury or illness um so animals um are hello brie oh, no. hello Bree. <laughs> Bree's now moved onto this hay net um so um they are constantly weighing up um and making behavioral decisions um around accessing resources to give them the best chance of survival yeah um so the story is very accurate in the sense that um competition is around food and there are elements of the diet that cross over between deer and feral horses and our domestic horses.
0: So the the, both of them they're quite um, in the story they're they're the more aggressive of the horses so do you get that within um, horse groups that you get horses which are more aggressive than others or they take the leading role?
2: Yes yes you do so you get uh, across all animals really um much the same as us you get different behavioral styles so you will get some animals that will be bolder and you'll get other animals that are more shy um equines are herd animals they would live in um small groups um, that form part of a larger Um, herd of horses that would share what we call the same home range so that's where they would be um, spending most of their time um, to access their key resources Um, and then also somewhere where they can have some shelter from the elements and feel that they can rest together Um, and then also somewhere which is in close enough proximity to um, stallion so that they can reproduce mares will tend to live together they will have um, their uh, foals their babies at a similar time of year once they have then got foals at foot it's called a nursery group so the stallion will still be um, uh, sort of in in relatively close proximity to these grazing mares and he would be ready to um, protect um, the mares and his foals if he needed to then as the foals grow up um, they become what we call from the age of sort of like once they're about kind of two three years old we call the female foals would then be called fillies and then um the um uh, the, the boys and um, the colts they would start to then leave the group a little bit because okay. obviously they then want to be able to find um their own group of mares that they can then become the stallion leader of mm. um, to procreate. Um, so they tend to branch off into um, sometimes bachelor groups. So that's when they're still waiting to find their group of mares. So the young lads hang out together. Yeah. The young colts, um, as they then become older, they're stallions and they are driven to um, procreate um, because that's how evolution works.
0: So a bit of sort of male adolescent behaviour
2: going yes. on in, and i
0: suppose sundew and bracken are quite you know fall into that category yes maybe.
2: yes yes i think they would and um uh they're definitely um to me they're sort of described in the story as as horses that are of that more kind of bold behavioral style um, and then they may well be at a time in their life where they are um, looking to perhaps move away from their group mm. um, so they would be um they would be quite bold um, and not
0: listening to their more elders yeah advice yes. to maybe yes. leave the deer, leave it yes. just leave it yes. it's fine yeah
2: but the obviously the the challenge is um uh, a a wild or feral animal has to make a decision um, when it needs access to a resource in order to survive. It has to decide um, what is more risky to it in terms mm. of survival, whether to leave it but then not have as much access to um, a primary resource such as food that they need, um, but obviously thereby lessening the likelihood that they're going to suffer injury uh, as a result of conflict or are they going to um, be more aggressive in order to get the patch of grass, yeah. area of woodland that, that they need? So um, in, uh, in, in feral groups of horses, um, you um, aggression between them isn't something um, that is that you would normally see you see it at times where resources are scarce
0: so if we were um approaching a a pony or a horse what sort of things would we need to look out for to indicate aggression or or that we might need to be careful of
2: if we saw um behaviors that really told us actually stop doing whatever it is you're doing they would be exactly what what we what is described in the story we would look for um a swish of the tail um we would look for if the ears are backwards right um we would also look at um is there any turning of the head that may indicate a threat to bite um stamping of the feet can be associated with frustration um uh so um it can also be associated with things like flies and grooming and things so you've got to take everything kind of contextually um but yes you want you know that a horse is um calm and content and relaxed if there's there isn't tension in the face we say that they have quite a soft eye um the ears aren't um Uh, paying close attention to any one particular Mm. thing around them and they may rest uh, a back leg um, and their head's going to be quite low Um, whereas if we see the ears sort of focusing all around, attending to their environment. If we see the ears going back and pinning, if we see the tension that forms in their eyes, so you can get like a kind of, and um, the eye can sort of form almost like a kind of triangle as there's like tension that forms in the eyelid. And that's a sign of, of stress.
0: So our horses is a bit like us, that some horses can be more afraid of things than others. So as a human, if we were to approach... A feral horse or out in the new forest if if a horse looks quite relaxed I suppose that's okay to approach but we have to then be mindful that that horse might not want our company
2: yes so I think really the best thing um, is um, if you're seeing um, uh, a group of horses relax I would say observe that and be in wonder of that I think that is is absolutely fantastic and um, we can be very um, keen to um, uh, I suppose I suppose pet animals and engage with them. Um and I think it's really important that we um remember that perhaps just because we can doesn't mean that we should. I think, that's I, really good advice I think actually, so. I think
0: it's very tempting when you go there. It and is to see them you think,
2: Oh my oh, know. Yes, so <laughs> lovely. let's go let's go and try and stroke one. I think if you if you want to have the joy of, of interacting um with a horse, I think my sort of experience of it, um and sort of uh the the work that i do with my horses um is very much about um they are in they have the say on when they come and interact with me um Mm. so um you know sometimes we can sort of force ourselves upon animals a little bit um and that's when actually we can miss um the the body language signs um, and also um, the behavioural signs in terms of what they're actually choosing to do, whether they're eating something or whether they're stomping a leg or whether their ears are moving, those sorts of things. Um, We can miss the signs that actually your presence is making them uncomfortable. Mm. Um, And I think it's really, really important. Um, I think it's kind of our duty to um, help animals... um, feel comfortable and safe and secure with their interactions with yeah. humans so um so with my horses I do um well both of them um uh they're, they're both non-ridden horses um, well that's something I really
0: love about yeah. horses up here <laughs> is is that they you don't ride them no um no. They, they you look after them but they're quite free to roam aren't they 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 just they kind of do, they have this shelter that we're sitting in um, which they can come in, but you were saying they generally they they don't choose to come in the shelter. They'd prefer just to be kind of. leaning against uh, or under a tree to to, to shelter from wind and rain. Yes
2: absolutely they're here together because they are both uh, they're both cobs so they're both native types so um, they need quite a controlled diet they can easily put weight on if they're out in sort of lush pastures that um, a, a lot of Um, a lot of domestic horses are kept in so um, we really try and mimic nature as much as possible not only is it good for um, it's good for them in terms of their mental well-being to be able to um, engage in um, behaviors that they would engage in if they were in a feral environment like the new forest Um, you know being able to do normal behavior is 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 a huge part of um, mental wellness and behavioural mm. wellness.
0: And are, are they good friends, or, or is does one take the lead of between Taluna and Brie, we... <laughs>
2: um So yeah, so to, they've they've had times where when they first were together, um, uh, where actually um, that uh, balance in the relationship was quite um, uh, transient. Um, it has now settled um, with. Um, Tallulah can move Brie away from different things that she would like to access, Um, but it's not always a case of Tallulah being in charge because they respond to the contextual information around them, so there'll be different... Resources that are more important right, to one okay. horse than the other, um, so Tallulah um, is very. Um, she really enjoys um, human company, and she's she's that she's a more bold, bold behavioral yeah, style. Yeah, she's never Brie. so
0: friendly. Ever so Although friendly. I have to say, so was Brie because Brie tried to. Well, I'm not sure if she was trying to eat my scarf earlier, but she was very friendly with my hair. Yes, and quite
2: nuzzly. Yes, and yes. yeah, she's lovely. actually. I
0: <laughs> Brie's <laughs> lovely. incredibly
2: friendly. But Brie will choose the opportunities where Tallulah is otherwise occupied right. that she knows she can relax and engage with perhaps eating a hay net or perhaps nibbling somebody's hair
1: Yeah.
2: Um, or a nice sunny patch that she wants to rest in. It
0: <laughs> does sound like they've got a lovely idyllic life here being looked after by you. And, <laughs> well, I think... They're probably their outcomes are probably going to be a bit luckier than um, poor Sundew and Bracken because, well, I think with your input they're going to behave a bit better. When they if they came across a, two, a little tiny man person, <laughs> I think they would probably behave a bit more politely.
2: Well, I think well, and they would probably look at him and go if you haven't got anything nice to give me then I'm going to find someone else to help me <laughs> yeah. with this dear situation um yeah so they they yeah it's yeah. it quite different and um they don't so um uh it Brie has been ridden in the past not by me and um, by her her previous owner um and uh, when she was ridden she was ridden with a, a bit in her mouth um she um isn't ridden by me at the moment um because I'm wanting to change her training completely and use positive reinforcement. So she's only been learning that since I've had her. So she's only actually been learning that for the last two years. So it's completely new. Um, She's never done it before. So there's a lot of things to get in place before um, it is um, in her best interest and in my best interest. Horses aren't used for transport anymore. So we have so much more choice than we did in the past in the past um if you needed to if you had a horse and cart and you were you know selling various different wares to local people in your little hamlet or village or whatever your horse was your livelihood um and you couldn't you couldn't own a herd of horses and turn them out and you know for them to live like they did in the new forest so people had to stable their horses when they were traveling um lots of different things that are management styles that are in complete contradiction to what you would see if you go and watch those new forest ponies whereas now we're in a situation where more and more um, horses are kept as pets Um, they're sort of stuck somewhere between kind of animals that have been used in the past for a very important purpose which was transportation and farming you know we wouldn't have you know agriculture happened because horses could have those um bits placed in their mouths the harnesses put around their shoulders that they could Mm. pull carts just like in the story well at one point they were pulling carts in order to help people have food to eat that's amazing we don't have to do that now because we have tractors um and we can still do that with them um but we can choose how we train them and that's where there's more kind of awareness about how our influence on them whether it's whether we're making our animals feel good or whether we're perhaps making them stressed they want to provide them with um as an enriched and natural environment as possible full of interest yes and then also hopefully um we can engage with animals in a way where they're motivated to and really want to um, because we can make um, learning and training with animals really quite fun for them. Um, I think so. you're right.
0: I think our engagement with them come on a long way, engaging with them a little bit more positively than um, just wanting them to, as a resource for us.
2: Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. yes. I think um, with um, uh, Ask Yourself, what can you do for an animal rather than what can it do for you yeah um,
0: i think that's a very And these very girls good do a lot
2: for me just by being you know they're just they in themselves are magical in a sense because it's just a feeling that's priceless when you yeah. get to you know be with and observe in the presence of something that you really en- enjoy and that's different for everyone but for me it's definitely horses i just find them utterly fascinating well i have
0: to <laughs> say i've i've just this morning being able to come close to them <laughs> this morning and stroking them is you know from a a mental health perspective mm-hmm. has just been wonderful they're just calming they and they're are. just lovely so absolutely. well on that note <laughs> shall we go <laughs> out go for and another and stroke and another <laughs> go cuddle go
2: and uh, see if they want to say hello yeah
0: that would be lovely well claire i think it's been absolutely fascinating um you're a wealth of knowledge and um I just love the way that you live with these, these horses. I think it's a really, really positive and it's been well, it's just been brilliant to meet you this morning. Oh, thank thank you. you so much. Let's thank go and um you. let's go and have a little cuddle with the horses. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, there they are. Okay. Well that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the tale and the facts behind it as much as I enjoyed discovering them and writing the story. Thank you for listening. Test Valley Tales is an Arts Council-funded project and part of Test Valley Arts Foundation Borough of Culture Legacy Projects. You can find all sorts of project resources on my website at www.merry-go-roundstorytelling.co.uk forward slash Test Valley Tales. There is a downloadable map with postcodes to find all the story locations, links to walks and craft activities. You can also buy the Test Valley Tales illustrated book of short stories there. Test Valley Tales is on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter as at Test Valley Tales and this podcast can be found on Podbean at podbean.com forward slash Test Valley Tales. If you are interested in finding out about other types of storytelling I get up to or you would like to book me for an event you can email me at mgrstorytelling at gmail.com I am on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter as at MGR Storytelling and merry Storytelling on YouTube. I also have another storytelling podcast which can be found at podbean.com forward slash funny tales and fairy tales. And all this information can be found on my website which is www.mgrstorytelling.com merry go round Happy
1: storytelling,
0: and I look forward to telling you another tale soon.